Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, the most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader. And in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult. And, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Martin G. Moore. Uh, Marty is the co-founder of Your CEO Mentor, uh, which he co-founded with his daughter, which I'm really excited to chat with him about. That's uh, that's just one cool thing that we've already mentioned before pressing record. Apart from that, he's also host of a, a chart-topping podcast, which we'll chat about, um, an author, consultant. Marty, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jono. Thanks for having me on the show, mate. Great to be here. I didn't mention the most important thing about you, which is that you're an Aussie. <laughs> well, yeah, if you, couldn't, uh, if you couldn't tell from the accent, although I live in Boston now, I'm not a native Bostonian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I always enjoy uh, catching up with Aussies. And uh, I think uh, I always say to people when I'm, when I'm having people on from other parts of the world that uh, I've, uh, I've avoided by checking how I pronounce different things. I've avoided having too much on my podcast where I mispronounce. But um, I always say it's kind of endearing anyway. I feel like the Aussie accent gets away with a lot. It does, yeah. And I was um, I was talking to someone the other day over here, and they actually said to me, "You know, swearing sounds a lot nicer with an Aussie accent." So that was good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love that. Well, um, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? There's 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 a few hats you wear. I introduced you know uh, most of them there when I just uh, introduced you, but yeah, tell us in a bit more detail about what you do, Marty. Uh, what I do now is sort of a little bit difficult to describe, Jono. Uh, it probably requires some history. So I came from a corporate leadership background where I was an executive for many years in Australia uh, with my final role culminating as chief executive of CS Energy, which uh, in case your listeners don't know, it's a large electricity generation business based in Queensland, a multi-billion dollar business that generates about a third of Queensland's electricity. So I ran that for five years. And at the end of it, I decided to do what I'm doing now, which is your CEO mentor, a business I set up with my daughter, Emma, as we, as we mentioned in the um, intro. Now, interestingly, the reason it's hard to define what I do now is that Emma says, Dad, you're the talent, whatever that means. So I produce content, and that content goes out in many different forms. Uh, <laughs> you've mentioned the podcast, Jono, No Bullshit yep. Leadership. And that's going gangbusters, right? That was our proving ground for the content to just see if we could make any sort of a splash in the massively overcrowded field of leadership development. And um, we've also developed uh, uh, an education program uh, called Leadership Beyond the Theory, which we run two public cohorts each year. Uh, that's just growing gangbusters as well. We're just about to do our seventh cohort of that now. I do a bunch of speaking work over here. So I'm represented by uh, American Program Bureau, which is one of the top bureaus over here. And I'm exclusively represented by them. And um, yeah, I do a little bit, but not much consulting work. Um, I tend to find that because my goal is to have maximum impact, then doing the exchange of time for effort doesn't really do it justice. So we try and focus on creating content that we can multiply the effectiveness of in this world of you know digital reach. 
That's so good. I, I love that approach. And I think it's, um, we live in, in an incredible time where you can multiply. Just thinking, I was just thinking the other day about the, uh, say with a, with a podcast, the multiplication um, today compared to 30 years ago. Just, I mean, you could compare it to five years ago, 10 years ago, but just the, the accessibility of the tools to use to produce the content um, and then the channels to be able to, to, for people to receive it. So I think um, not only do I love that approach, but I think it's a, it's a real, it's a timely uh, approach that's in, there's never been a more incredible opportunity to reach leaders everywhere for someone like you, like you said, and actually maximize the impact of your time. Yeah, absolutely, John. And I, I guess the, the trick is to make sure that you're delivering sufficient value that you can actually stand out in a very, very crowded sea. Mm. So um, it probably warrants me telling a little bit of a story about how we started the business. And Yeah, um, please. Of course, Emma had been watching me in my corporate career for many years. And um, as you know, a father and daughter with a very close relationship, she would frequently call me and uh, bewail and bemoan the leadership that she was getting in advertising and marketing agencies in Sydney. And so I helped her through a lot of difficult things. And, and I always said to her, you know, these, these leaders aren't bad people. They've just never been trained properly in how to lead and they've not chosen to take on the mantle of leadership. Mm. And so she was trying to convince me that I needed to do something more with my life. And I said, what, more than being a very busy and important CEO? Um, but that was a joke, Johnny, you can laugh at that one. Um, but uh, she did say, you know, hey, you can do more with this. And I said to her when I was getting to the end of my tenure at CS Energy, well, look, I've always thought I might write a book. And she mm. just laughed and said, Dad, a book is so 2010. You're not writing a book. So, <laughs> so I said, okay, well, what's your idea? She said, we're going to lead out with a podcast. And I said, okay, mm. a podcast, I'll buy it. And um, in fact, the first podcast I ever listened to was my first podcast that I recorded myself wow um, and and she actually said you know here's how it works now it took me ages to get my head around it and it took me a long time before i actually agreed to do it because this concept of hey dad guess what you've got to give away your best content for free didn't mm. actually ring a bell with me and I, <laughs> I i sort of i laughed and put my arm around her shoulder and said no 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 darling let your dad explain how business works and mm. She ended up convincing me that I should trust her to go with it. And the podcast turns out to be the best thing we've ever done. So I was telling mm. you just before we hit the record button, Jono, that um, we've now got two and a half million downloads of the podcast in over a mm. hundred countries. And there's no wow. way I could get any sort of reach or impact like that without that type of medium. Mm. Uh, and as, as I said to Emma, you know, I, I rationalise this by saying, even if I was the chief executive of... General Electric or Boeing or BHP or Commonwealth Bank, how many people am I going to impact directly? You know, mm. Maybe 100 and, and 50 of those don't want to be impacted. So, <laughs> so you know, the, the concept of being able to get that sort of reach and to have that much impact and to make that much difference to leaders everywhere, assuming, of course, that the content is valuable, uh, mm. to me, that's just incredibly powerful. Yeah, that's so good. And what a wonderful story. I, I love that story of how you started it. Uh, I have to ask about the name. So why uh, No Bullshit Leadership? Well, you know, we, we went around that one for quite a while and we, we had all of the debates around how to succinctly describe what it was that we do. 
And this really hit the spot for both of us so perfectly because the whole differentiation of what we do in leadership space is we cut through all of the platitudes, all of the niceties, all of the things that people say because they sound like they're the right thing to say, and we get to the heart of the matter. So if you want to be a leader, guess what? It's a tough gig. What are the sorts of things you have to do? What disciplines do you need to develop? What habits do you need to have if you're going to be a really good leader? And know this for sure, it is counterintuitive. It goes against the grain of some of your most fundamental DNA programming. So how do you actually get your head around the fact that you have to do things that aren't necessarily in your own self-interest? And you have to subordinate what you want to the greater good of the organization and the team. And so these concepts require a level of strength and mental and emotional toughness to be able to see them through and to be a good leader. But while we're all standing around listening to, you know, hundreds of thousands of, you know, articles, podcasts and blogs every day that tell us that leaders should be humble and leaders should be fallible and leaders mm. should be transparent and leaders should have integrity, all of which is true, don't get me wrong, but while we're listening to that comfort food sugar hit stuff, we don't change and we don't do anything different. So we make no bones about this, no bullshit leadership. If you want to lead, it's tough and here's the things you have to do to be better at it. Yeah, that's great. I love it. And it's very Aussie. And that's, uh, I, and, and in the best way, I mean, it's, it's what I think the world loves about Aussies. It's, uh, um, but it's, it's probably a little bit, it's even probably a little bit more edgy than, than a lot of Aussies are. But it's funny, we were saying this before, um, uh, before we press record as well. But I, I think, um, you know, the, I, I do love that sort of, um, I do love that sort of angle where you are. It, it is tough love. It is, you know, I, I'm going to tell you the truth, but I can already hear just from chatting with you a little bit that that it's, you know, the way you bring it, um, not just the Aussie accent, but also who you are because you ultimately want the best for people. The best thing about a podcast as well is if someone can't take it, they'll turn it off. But you've obviously, <laughs> exactly. you're obviously resonating with people who are going, come on, I really do want to grow. And I want someone to tell me, tell me it like it is. And, uh, and so they switch on the podcast and, and there you are to actually do that. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see the growth. And for me, the most satisfying thing about this business is the number of uh, messages, DMs, emails we get just saying, yeah. thank you so much because I was really struggling. I was at a real crossroads and you've helped me to actually get back on track and you've helped me to lead better. And here's a situation today where I listen to your podcast in the morning. I went into my office. I decided to do this differently that I'd been avoiding, and it worked out really, really well for me. Yeah. <laughs> and and those those are great stories. But the ones I love the most are, you know, yes, it's made me a better leader, but now I'm also a better mother, and I'm also yeah. a better friend, and I'm yeah. also more fun to be around because I now have better boundaries. I understand how to connect with people better. Mm. I know how to treat people properly with strength and assertiveness, but also with yeah. compassion and empathy. Yeah, yeah, so good. Uh, well, I want to ask about your journey, Marty, uh, because obviously you're, you are always chatting on the podcast and, and giving um, you know, great thoughts and advice. But let's start with, you know, when you were growing up, if you go back to your childhood, what were some moments from that season or themes from that season that really shaped you to become the person and leader you are today? Well, I think I'm 
first of all, from a relatively large family by today's standards. So there were five children in our family, um, brought up in suburban city, uh, Sydney, fairly close to the city. And my parents were absolutely wonderful people. We didn't have a lot of money, but they incredibly believed in the value of education. And they believed in the virtues of good character and morals. And uh, that's not to say that for my whole life I've strictly observed those, let me tell you. But it was a great foundation to understand how the world could work. And they gave us the best education that money could buy, all five of us, and sacrificed a lot of what they could have done uh, as parents to do that. And I think that's probably the, the biggest and most impactful message is that that feeling of my parents have given up a lot so that I could have this education. Mm. So imagine how terrible I felt when I dropped out of my undergraduate degree. <laughs> it, was, it was almost like I consciously decided to do it, but I didn't. I just, you know, I just dropped out. Now, yeah. I'd spent time in an all-boys boarding school, um, a school called St. Joseph's College at Hunters Hill in Sydney, which is one of the top um, boys' schools in the country, actually. And um, you'll probably have a few listeners calling in to dispute that, but um, it was an all-boys boarding school. Now, when I got out, I was going from an incredibly structured environment where everything was planned down to the last minute for me into a completely unstructured environment. And I discovered beer and dating and I was still playing rugby at that stage and I was having a whale of a time. So it was all too easy to not turn up for my federal constitutional law lecture at nine o'clock on a Tuesday morning. So I basically showed um, treated my university degree with benign neglect and eventually just sort of fell out of it. Now that wasn't my proudest moment, but to my parents' credit, they didn't give me a hard time. They didn't lecture me about how I was squandering all of the sacrifice that they'd given over the years. They just accepted that eventually I'd work out what to do. And so in terms of um, you know the story from the age of zero to the age of about 21, that's probably a pretty good rap. Yeah, that's incredible to hear some of your story, Marty, about how you, uh, I guess, how you, how you started off and, and wonderful to hear about your parents and uh, and how they provided all five of you with, with education. I love to ask when, you know, as you reflect, when was your first real leadership opportunity? You know, obviously there's, there's different leadership, uh, you know, elements in life, but it, maybe it was when you were young in a sporting team or maybe it didn't come until you were a bit older. Do you remember the first time you really felt like you were managing a group of people, leading a project, responsible for casting vision for something? When was that sort of first real leadership opportunity? Uh, it's a good question. I think in formal terms, uh, it probably didn't come until high school, but I always had the sense that uh, I wanted to put myself out there. And this is funny because you know, I'm the first one to say that leaders are not born, they're actually made. But I also think there is uh, a certain type of person that has a greater aptitude or affinity with the concept of leading others. And it's, I think, the, the drive to actually take accountability for things and step forward and say, okay, I've got mm. this. And the concept of I've got this and being the person that others look to for strength, as opposed to being someone who's waiting to find someone else who has strength, I think I probably discovered that at a fairly young age. And it's one of those things that comes in all walks of life. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that 
you know, my, my brother, who I love dearly, who's 18 months older than me, um, beat me up regularly when I was young. That's a good thing. Um, that'll, sort of, that'll sort of knock the uh, <laughs> pomposity and ego out of you. Um, and no, he didn't really. We got on really well. But just the rough and tumble of being one of a family of five, uh, of going to the sorts of schools that expect and demand the right sort of behaviour under all circumstances, uh, and finding a level of resonance with that, a level of affinity with that, uh, for me, that happened very early. So I was never afraid of stepping forward into that into that vacuum that was left by others who didn't want to lead. Mm. Yeah, so you sort of had that courage and uh, that uh, that drive, like you said, to step in and take accountabil- accountability, not just for your own actions, but for things outside of yourself. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And when it came to the sporting yeah. teams, because you didn't mention sport, um, mm-hmm. I was I was reasonable without being great at anything. So I wasn't always mm-hmm. the best player on the team, um, but I did always know how to contribute in a way that demonstrated some leadership. Yeah, 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 I love that. That's, that's a good perspective. So if we, I guess if we look over your career, and particularly before you started your CEO mentor initially, I want you to think about any aha moments, those big penny dropped aha moments, leadership lessons where you were the leader or you were working with a leader, uh, you know, where the, the ball was really dropped and, and there was a mistake or whether something went remarkably well and surprised you. Um, are there any moments like that that have really burned in your memory? Probably the thing that most strikes me, Jono, is the fact that um, I was not amazed so much by particular events as I was by just these blinding flashes of realisation about how the world worked. So as I said, I had a relatively um, sheltered life in terms of what I, what I was exposed to. And just the concept that not everyone in the world did want to work hard. Not everyone in the world did want to achieve things. Not everyone in yeah. the world did take their job seriously. Not everyone was honest. <laughs> you know, all these sorts of realisations, I've gone, wow. I never thought I'd see that en masse in a large organisation. But seeing certain cultures that were either ineffective or toxic and seeing how people behaved in those circumstances, I found amazing. Um, Some of the most interesting learnings I ever had was working in the cocktail bars of King's Cross in Sydney's nightlife district. And just learning how to deal with people in what are sometimes the most difficult of circumstances was a complete eye-opener for a young guy from an all-boys Catholic boarding school. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's it's funny how... That's why I love these conversations, because sometimes the stories that come out, they're not what you expect. Um, but that's life, right? Like, it's, it, it's funny how those sort of seasons where if you're going to design a leadership course or leadership life path for someone um working in a cocktail bar in king's cross wouldn't be top of the list and yet it's always these sort of moments that that pop up and you and people come back to you or having an older brother who helps you um grow up and and maybe not have too much of an ego as you as you get older yeah absolutely absolutely and and look my brother excelled at a range of things as did my three younger sisters i was second in line in the family uh, and i learned a lot from them and i aspired to a lot of the things that they did and mm. I sort of mentioned earlier in the podcast that you know, there was a time in my life where I was off the rails just a little bit in those, those early formative years after I left school. Uh, but what I learned over time, Jono, was that 
I'm at my happiest and most content when I'm actually living a very strong, high values uh, life of integrity and truth. And that, that yeah. sounds, from, from a guy who's no bullshit leadership, that sounds wanky, I know. But <laughs> I, I just feel better in myself when I can look myself in the mirror and know I'm doing things the right way. Because you can't yeah. escape the mirror. You can't. You can pretend, no. but you can't in yeah. the end. And so I've just found that, you know, yeah, sure, I've tried a lot of different stuff and done things a lot of different ways, uh, as we all do when we experiment with our, with our adulthood. But, uh, but I've got to tell you, I'm happiest when I'm at my best in all ways. Hmm. And what have you learned? What advice would you give to people about how to develop that? Yeah, gee, I wish I knew how I developed it. Um, <laughs> I, I, think, I think there was, as I said, a lot of trial and error. And so I'd look at how other people were behaving and i go, wow, that looks like so much fun. And so I'd try that for a while and i go, yeah, but you know what? I'm really tired of that now. <laughs> and you can only go through this so many times before you realize, hang on a minute, those, those values that my parents instilled in me when I was young that I didn't even know I was getting, I thought it was just a drag, well, they're actually the things that work and they work for me. And so rather than being a process that I consciously went after, it's a process of becoming an adult, becoming mature, where you will either learn to do things that way or you'll find that there are other things that, that make you happy. And, you know, I've got a very, very, very um, influential person in my life, Colin Clark, who um, coached me years ago. And his philosophy was basically, you know, find out what makes you happy and do more of that. That's it. Full stop. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, That's as long so as you don't hurt anyone else while doing so, you know what I mean? So, mm. so that was very strong case of, you know, just find out what, what really drives you. What's, what's your heart's desire? What is your true nature and purpose? And the more closely aligned you are with that, the better a life you're going to have, the happier you're going to be, the more content, and the better everything around you is, your relationships, your career, everything. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, what about got mentors? We, John, eh? we got we got <laughs> philosophical for a while, didn't we? Sorry about that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, I like it. I, I like what you said. Um, what? Uh, who are some of the mentors along the way, or leaders you've really admired working with? Yeah, I admired a lot of people. I didn't admire a lot of leaders. Mm. Now, let me just clarify this. There are thousands and thousands upon thousands of experienced, intelligent, capable, strategic thinkers who are good people and they're good business people. And I owe a debt to so many of them for mm. learning from them and learning what they had to teach me. The number of great leaders I've met over my you know, 59 years to date, I could count on one hand. And the reason I say that is because some of the people that I've enjoyed working for the most haven't been great leaders. And I think I've learned more from the counterexamples, what not to do, than I have from the really good leaders who I've gone, yes, I want to emulate that. Because when you see someone doing things that are incredibly destructive, uh, not through any you know, malice or anything else, but just through their inattention, their, their lack of focus on the people that they're leading, that stays with you. 
and and for me some of those things were indelibly etched in my memory so yeah. i think it's a it's a long way around of saying look when i look at some of the leaders i really admire uh one of them was a teacher in third grade that taught me at mm. school and she yep. absolutely brought out the best in me and one of the key um, reasons that that was able to happen was because she differentiated between the kids in the class. Now, one of the sad things these days is that everything is trying to be pushed down to the lowest common denominator. So everything mm. is normalized so no one gets left behind. And that's a good thing and it's a noble thing. But you lose the ability to differentiate and pull out kids who are perhaps capable of doing more and to stretch them. And so one yeah. of my very strong principles about leadership is, okay, you've got to differentiate your people. You've got to find the ones who are you know, good, bad, and indifferent, and you've got to stretch them to be better. So spend mm. your time with those good people and stretch them and demand more of them and give them the opportunity mm. to really excel. And so that's a, an incredible lesson that I learned in probably the third grade at school, and that's something that's as strong in me now as it was then, if not stronger. Uh, there are other people who I worked for who demonstrated various characteristics of leadership, and particularly I ran into a number of quite courageous leaders at different points in my career yep. who showed that they weren't afraid to speak truth to power, as the common expression goes these days. It's a bit of a cliche. But they weren't afraid to stand up for what they knew to be the right thing, even if it was going to be personally difficult for them. And so I learned a lot about courage from watching some of the early leaders do that. And I also learned a lot by watching a lot of weak leaders fold under the same sort of pressure and choice. Mm. So many, many lessons, many, many people, many counterexamples, and you know, a number of great leaders who I learned a lot from. Yeah, I, w I want to ask you about, because something you mentioned earlier as well is that a lot of, a lot of leadership mistakes are unintentional. And it's not mm. that people are evil villains. They're actually, uh, actually well-intentioned and yet they end up doing things that are very destructive as leaders. What, yeah. are, what, are, what are those things that you see uh, like right now in, in or you know, maybe it's on your radar or in your career, what are the most common destructive unintentional things you've seen leaders do? Yeah, it's a good question, Jono, because I think probably one of the most destructive things isn't something a leader does, but what a leader avoids and what a leader chooses not to do. And a classic example, and this one's dear to my heart because I find this, I find this actually incredibly sad. Uh, in my later part of my career in corporate, when I was a senior executive, I would talk to people and have people who would work for me in a new team, and they could be 40, 50 plus years old, and they had a very obvious flaw, very obvious weakness in either their performance or behavior. And mm. I'd sit down with them to give them the feedback because I'm very strong on, you know, direct, you know, connected, constructive, yep. timely feedback, right? If, if I observe mm -hmm. something, then the person deserves to know that I've, that I've seen it and I've noticed it. And so I'll sit Lovely. down with them and I'll make the observation. Now, the number of times I've sat down with someone in their, you know, twilight of their career, and I tell them something they have never heard before, something completely obvious, blindingly obvious. Mm. No leader in their past has had the guts or the courage or the will to sit down and tell them that. And it's almost impossible that they didn't observe the same thing. But funnily enough, mm. 
when it comes to that stage of their career, they look yeah. at you through narrowed eyes and they go, mate, the last 20 years, all of my annual performance reviews have said I'm a great performer. So it's not me, it's you. And that is incredibly sad because they wonder why they've never got above a certain level in an organisation. And it's because of this fatal flaw that no one's ever brought to their attention. So that's the sort of common mistake that a leader will make because they rationalise why they shouldn't have that difficult conversation. Mm. And all they're doing is avoiding their own discomfort and putting their own fear and apprehension and anxiety ahead of what the individual that they're leading needs to hear at that point in time. So that's probably the most common thing I see. That's, that's all levels, all industries. Yeah. Every organisation I've been in, this is rife. Yeah, I think um, I think you hit the nail on the head, and it is uh, like for those listening who are having a bit of a uh, uh, feeling a bit of guilt as they hear this because they're going, well, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> I've seen that in um, you know I, I saw that really clearly in Rebecca on my team, and I haven't told her. What advice would you give for someone who's not experienced in giving this sort of feedback? Any tips on how to do that well? Yeah, absolutely. Well, start with start with two podcast episodes of mine. Episode number one. This is such a problem. <laughs> Episode number one, September yeah. 2018. It's called yeah. Respect Before Popularity. So the mm. first thing is to get your head around the fact that as a leader, you're not going to be popular. And the higher up you go, the less likely it is. It's almost impossible to make a decision as a chief executive of a large company where some people don't think that you're a complete imbecile. Uh, because they would have done it a different way. So you've just got to get used to the fact that not everyone's going to like you, and that's okay because it comes with the territory. The other episode is episode number six, which is called The Psychology of Feedback. And basically, this is the five lenses that you can look through that help you to get your head around why you should willingly step into a conflict situation. And and really, that's in, in those two episodes, they're only... I don't know, less than 15 or 20 minutes each, they just give you the framework that's going to help you to do it. Because in my view, this is 90% will and 10% skill. Right? The skill, the skill mm. will come if you do enough of it. Yeah. But you've got to do enough of it that you start to feel comfortable. Mm. And it's just like I remember learning to ski in deep powder snow. So you know, <laughs> being brought up in Australia, skiing for us, that would be called downhill ice skating in Colorado. So, <laughs> so I find myself in Aspen in you know thigh deep powder, and I have wow. no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and even though I had an instructor there who said, "Do this, put your weight here, here's the way you plant your pole, all that sort of stuff," nothing helped. The only thing that helped was getting enough miles under my skis that it started to feel okay. So I just did it enough. I kept getting up. I kept digging snow out of orifices I'd forgotten I had, and I got up again and kept going down the hill. And I did that enough times that at some point, I don't know when it was, it just started to feel okay. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm cruising through the powder, flicking up in my goggles like I'm starring in a Warren Miller movie. Yeah. So, so this is just the, it's, there's no way around it. There's no shortcuts. There's no easy way. You've got to do it enough that it starts to feel okay. So yeah. when people ask me how long it takes before this happens in terms of you know, conflict situations and hard conversations, I say, look, really, it's only the first two or 300 that are hard. After that, it gets really easy. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, it's it's about as it's got to be one of the hardest things. I guess that's why it's probably such a common problem because it is one of the most. Uh, it's consistently uncomfortable things to do as a leader. Absolutely, but you know, but that's that's what it is. That's what leadership is, and mm-hmm. you know, I guess I guess probably I'm a, I'm a little bit dysfunctional in this regard. You asked me about my you know early discoveries in terms of when I found out that I did have an aptitude or a desire to be a leader, and yeah. I, I think I think for me it's a case of you know when I was in my first leadership jobs in corporations, I remember being a project manager in um, a large bank in Sydney, and I remember going into a feedback conversation and coming out and just going, oh my God, I was terrible. That went terribly. That was that was awful. I mean, this poor person sitting opposite me and I felt terrible and it was awkward and this and that. And for a lot of people, that would make them shy away from having another conversation like that. But for me, dysfunctional little bunny that I am, Jono, I said to myself, gee, that was terrible. I've got to do more of that and get good at it. <laughs> so I basically looked for every opportunity I could to practice that. <laughs> and I've got to so tell you, the, the first 50 people I had those conversations with, they must have been looking at me going, mate, you're an idiot. But, yeah. but that's okay. I got through that and got yeah. to the stage in my career. So that for the last many, many years, I could stop and have a conversation with someone and give them feedback about anything I observed freely in a relaxed way any time, spontaneously, yeah. it didn't matter. I didn't worry about mm. it because it was just something that I did. Wow. Yeah, that's that's an incredible uh, leadership sort of skill that people can develop, and I can see why it was episode number one. Um, if you had to pick one other thing off the top of your head, which I know you've talked a lot on the podcast about a lot of different things, but if you had to pick one other skill that leaders can do, so we've sort of talked about something that, that's destructive what about something that's that's constructive that you think uh if every leader was going to go and and change one thing or improve one part of their leadership it's it's got a really high roi in terms of how it affects your leadership uh yeah okay can i come back to um being comfortable in a conflict situation and say double down on that no i'm only kidding Mm -hmm. i'll give you i'll give you something Um, (laughs) look i think i I think probably the other thing it's not so much a, a skill and a leadership attribute to develop. It's more a discipline and a habit to get into and get really good at. This is more of a skill thing. And this is yeah, holding yeah. people to account for what they do. Mm. Now, my view is, and we do dedicate a whole module to this in um, our leadership on the theory program, drive accountability. Yeah. And the, the thing is that a lot of organizations are slow and they make poor decisions. Why? Because they look for consensus. And when you look Mm. for consensus, what you end up with is the lowest common denominator. You end up with a decision that everyone can live with, but no one is particularly happy with. And this is a very, very different culture from when you have a strong accountability culture where you have clear decision-making rights. Now, it doesn't mean that that decision-maker doesn't need to consult with other people, and to um, you know, put other viewpoints into the mix is quite the opposite. The accountable decision maker has a, a, a strong obligation to make sure that they seek out the best data, the best advice, the best you know, risk management um, uh, data they can get, all of that stuff to make a better decision and they can do it quickly. 
and they know the principle that they're the ones entrusted to make that call, they need to make it, and they need to make it in a smart, effective, and timely manner. And they don't wait for everyone to decide whether or not they're going to put a power of veto on it. They don't wait for the non-accountable expert to sit in the corner and say, I'm not sure about this, let me think about it for a while. None of that shit goes on. <laughs> and so driving accountability is one head to pat, one ass to kick, they both belong to the same person, and you live by those accountability frames. Now that is the key to successful execution. And if you can do that, you will outperform any team in inside of you. Mm. So for those listening who know, once again, and I know you've got a whole module on this, um, but they, they really know that they need to start doing this. What would be, I guess, for a leader who's, who's listening to this in the car on the way into to a meeting, where, can, where should people start to actually drive accountability? If this is something, they're the leader, so they are in sort of control of, of really rolling this out, uh, but it's something they haven't really done well previously. Uh, well, I think if you're going to change anything, it's a general principle. If you're going to change anything about the way you lead, you've got to make it very explicit that you're making the change. So don't just go in there and try something out and see how it works and not tell anyone what you're doing, because all they'll think is, geez, Marty's having a bad day today. Isn't he cranky? <laughs> so, so you've got to actually help people to get that understanding. And I think the best way to do that is to say, all right, look, here's something I've noticed. And what I've noticed is that our execution is quite weak. Everything's happening pretty slowly. We're getting poor outcomes. I think the way to solve it is to do this. And these are the things we need to do differently. And here's why. Here's what we're expecting to come out the back end. So I want you to hold me to account for behaving better in this regard. And here's what I need from you. And here's my expectations of how you should behave and perform. And so making a very explicit change to say, all right, we're upping the ante on this accountability stuff now. And this becomes part of the culture. And the culture should be no blame, no excuses. We get on with it, we push hard, we deliver as much value as we can with the resources that we've been given custody of by the organisation, and everyone is better off for that. So it's really a case of set the strong accountabilities up by asking the question, who owns this? Who owns this? That's it, mm. who owns this? Three words. And anything that you have on any work program, it should be a case of who owns this. Now, I've got to tell you, this is hilarious, Jono. After five yeah. years at CS Energy, with an executive team in the end that was a really high quality team, who worked with me for a few years, who knew me back to front and knew exactly everything I was going to say about everything, there were still days when I would say, who owns this? and two or three executives would look at each other and they'd be silent. <laughs> and, you know, well, you know, Mike's doing this <laughs> bit, but, you know, Jenny's doing that bit and we're not sure who's bringing it all together. But we know Simon's got a good role to play here. I mean, this stuff is just poison. It's cancer to your organisation. So we would often laugh about that stuff when it came up and it didn't happen very often, but just this concept of not knowing who the owner of something is dilutes everything. Everything's slower. It's all yeah. care, no responsibility. So if you want to really get your organization humming, get the accountabilities right, and force a pace of execution that gives you a competitive advantage. That's it. Yeah, that's so good. Who owns this is a wonderful question. Uh, what about setting, having clear expectations 
uh, around what the goal is. Are you a big believer in getting very specific with deadlines and measurables around what they're owning in terms of those goals? Or do you have any thoughts around that? Is there any other way, I ask you? I mean, yes, you've got to be quite explicit. So when it comes to setting people up, I, I haven't told you about the other side of accountability, which is critical, and that's empowerment. They are two sides of the same coin, and you can't have one without the other effectively. If you just tell someone that they're accountable for something, you don't give them the things they need to execute on that accountability, well, that's just cruel, and your people are not going to like working for you at all. Mm. So the empowerment piece is all about, okay, well, you, you make it really, really clear what the object of the exercise is and why you're doing something. It's not just the metric uh, at the end of it. It's what do I need from you? What's our objective? How does this actually fit into the purpose and strategy of the organization? How does what you're doing today make a difference to those organizational outcomes? And then from there, it's everything down to, all right, let's agree on the appropriate timeline for this. And of course, as chief executive at CS Energy, everything was too slow for me. Everything was like way slow. So I would Mm. always push and someone would say, well, this is going to take four months. I'd say, yeah, no, it's not going to take four months. I need it in six weeks. Oh, that's impossible, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't just mindlessly saying, you've got to do it faster. It was opening the door to the conversation that said, okay, if we wanted to do this a different way and deliver it earlier, what would we need to do? What would it take? And how would that look? And are we prepared to invest what we need to to make it happen faster? So it was like a very adult conversation around that. So you'd have those types of conversations where you're getting buy-in from the accountable person about how they're going to go about executing. And then you support them to the hilt. You know, there'll always be skirmishes. You'll have other people who think they know better than the accountable person and want to have their own influence. But you back the accountable person because it's their call. And come hell or high water, they'll succeed or fail on their own merits. And then you've got, you know, make yourself available. Be there for them. Be there so that they can, you know, help use you as a sounding board for problems. And you know, all the things that come with that coaching in, in the line of fire. So there's a whole range of things you do to empower people. Um, I am going to answer your question, John. Don't you worry. I'm going to segue right back to it now. Don't you worry. The, the, um, the final piece is, you know, yes, finally, you have to have a scoreboard. And the scoreboard says, what we've agreed is you will deliver this product to this quality, scope, you know, level of risk, everything else, Uh, this cost at this time. And that's what you monitor as a leader to see if everything's working. So you look at the milestones along the way through and you look at the finished product, but this is the thing that you need so that you stay out of your people's knitting. So that you're not always dipping down and saying, how's this going? Show me what you're doing about this piece of the project and explain to me what's happening over here. And you 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 can very easily get sucked down into micromanagement if you don't have the basic tools to allow you to stand back and watch the game from the, from the bleachers and operate the scoreboard. You're not on the field with your people, you're not captain coach, you're standing back watching them perform and racking up the score. So in its simplest terms, show people where the scoreboard is, show them how to make the score tick over and let them know when it's not scoring. That's it. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I like that, uh, the simplicity of what you said there. Um, and I like how you said that if you can get the scoreboard right in terms of being able to, to see that and talk to that, 
it actually helps you not to get into uh, get get too involved in their knitting, as you said. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Well, I want to jump into Leadership Express. I've got a few questions for you, Marty. Are you ready? Yeah, but you know I'm going to take the time with them, don't you, Jono? <laughs> that is quite all right. I'm enjoying. You, I'm enjoying your responses. If, you, if you've learned nothing in the last little while, it's that I'm a really thoughtful guy. So let me think about these. Off you go. Yeah. Hey, first one is: What's a book that you've gifted to other people? Oh, gee, how many? Uh, lots. So my own book, No Bullshit Leadership. I'm throwing that on the gift pile, but you would expect me to say that, wouldn't you? Um, yes, that's other allowed. People's, other people's books. <laughs> other people's books. Definitely, the Leadership yeah. Pipeline by Ram Charan and Steve Drotter uh, and Mm -hmm. um, Jim Knoll. This is the ultimate book on organizational structure and talent management. So talent, succession planning, all that sort of stuff. So the leadership pipeline is an absolute classic. Okay. The other books that I love that aren't so much leadership oriented, but they are just some of my favorites for stretching your mind and for making you think a little bit differently. Uh, one of them is Malcolm Gladwell's, uh, Gladwell's book, Outliers, which I mm. absolutely love. Um, if you haven't yeah, read that, too. it's a must read. And one that's a little more um, off the beaten track that is probably, I think, my favourite read of the last 10 years is a book mm. called What Money Can't Buy. And it's mm. by um, a Harvard guy... Uh, uh, James Sandel, I think, S-A-N-D-E-L. I could be wrong on that, but look, that's that's one of my favourite books because it really challenged me to think. And I'm a very much a believer in, you know, free markets and the, the power of markets. And the premise of this book is, what are the moral limits of markets? And just because a market exists, should it? Should it exist? And incredibly powerful and thoughtful work. So I love that. Michael J. Sandel, yeah. sorry, was, was his name. Yeah, that's Michael J. Sandel. That's great. I love it. Thank you. Um, what about right now? Are you in the middle of any books? Are you loving any podcasts? You can mention your podcast as well. Um, loving any blogs? Like, is what, what are you really enjoying listening to, watching, reading right now? So I'm rereading Atomic Habits because I fell off the wagon in winter over here. Um, there's, not, there's nothing like the snow to keep you locked up inside with a nice bottle of red. Um, so yeah. Atomic Habits I'm back into again. And funnily enough, Atomic Habits was the book that beat me out of the number one spot on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Um, oh, on week, really? On the week that we released the book. So I, I saw that there and I've gone, shit, I better go back and reread that because that's, <laughs> that's the thing that stopped me from getting the number one on the Wall Street Journal list. So oh, that's um, hilarious. So yeah, it is hilarious. But, uh, but that's, that's a really good book. I'm rereading that. In terms of podcasts, here's a funny one. I'm listening um, pretty religiously to uh, the Megan Kelly show over here. Yeah. Now, Megan Kelly is uh, an ex-Fox News anchor, um, very, very well known in the US. She's an incredibly intelligent woman, um, uh, an ex-lawyer, and she's obviously to the right of centre. And one of the mm. things I realised when I got over here in particular, it just made it quite stark for me, is that um, most of the media feed we get is quite a long way to the left of centre these days. And mm-hmm. I'm a sort of guy that looks for balance. Like I want to hear all sides of the story because yeah. the older I get, the less certain I am about practically everything. So I like hearing a bunch of stuff that is, um, <laughs> you know, that is from a different, a different way to the way I think. 
and, and that's really good for me. So you thought you were going to get through this really quickly, didn't you? Keep going, Jono. I'll, I'll try and speed them up, mate. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm loving these. I'm loving these answers. Actually, that's great. Um, it, the Megan Kelly show is that what it was? Megan Kelly, yeah. M E G Y N Kelly. Okay, yeah, she's fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so the next question, I'm interested to know if you have any favorite, if you have any favorite questions that you ask people. So you're in a one-on-one, you're part of your leadership course, you're sitting with a team. Do you have any favorite questions that you ask people? Yeah, my, my favorite all-time question, what's your evidence for that? So a lot, of, a lot of people make statements everywhere, on social media, in the boardroom. A lot of people make statements that have absolutely no foundation in fact. And mm. so when they say something like, oh, we know that happy workers are productive workers, right? My obvious response is, well, what's your evidence for that? Mm. Now, that's a really powerful question. It's actually yeah. a killer question because it makes everyone think, gee, I don't know. What is the evidence for that? And it makes them start to think about the things that come out of their own mouths. And there's lots of times when in the past I would have said something that wasn't backed by fact, but it was an opinion I had. And now I'll always preface something like that with um, some sort of disclaimer like, look, I have absolutely no basis in fact for this, but I think that X. Or I'll say that from yeah. my sample group of one, here's what I've managed to deduct, uh, de- to deduce, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so I now qualify those things to demonstrate that it's not an actual fact, it's something that's up for debate. Yeah, that's so good. I, I love that question. I've had a, a similar question uh, where someone said that they always love to ask in meetings um, uh, something along the lines of, "Oh, um, how, how do you how do you know that?" or something like that. So it was a very similar idea of of saying questioning what people say to go, "Oh, really? Like, how, how do you know that?" What? And so it's. Um, I think they worded it slightly differently, but yeah, I, I think it's uh, a really powerful question, particularly today. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, this one is going to be, I feel like there's going to be lots of answers you could give to this one. What's a, <laughs> what's Mate, I'm a trying common, to speed up, not slow down. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what's a commonly held belief in leadership that you passionately disagree with? <laughs> we just covered it. Happy workers are productive workers. Such bullshit. Mm. I mean, seriously. <laughs> That there is there is certainly a um, you know an anecdotal link between the two, but there's no causal link, and you know I think I think the problem is that some of the research has made us think that happy workers are productive workers. Well, it's easy to make people happy, like you know double their salary, give them Fridays off, fill the fridge in the break room full of craft beer. Like it's not hard; you can make them happy, but it's the mm. short-term sugar hit happy, and it certainly doesn't make them productive. So the happy workers are productive workers. Well, happy workers are more likely to be productive than workers who hate their boss, but it doesn't necessarily follow. And the danger of this, the danger is that leaders think that they have to pander to their people to keep them happy. And that's the perfect rationalization, if I can just bring this full circle, to not having the hard conversations. If I criticize one of my people, they mightn't be happy and it will be counterproductive, and then mm. you know I'll have another problem. So this is one of the great um, underpinnings of the rationalizations that stop leaders from doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, love it. No, that's a, that's a great answer. Uh, what's a recent leadership lesson you've learned for the first time or been reminded of? Um, 
it's probably a little while since I've learnt lessons for the first time, but I'm constantly reminded of things all the time. And so just very, very recently, we had to replace someone in our organisation. And uh, I don't know how many times I've done this over the years, dozens and dozens, probably hundreds, I don't know, but lots and lots of times where people have had to be replaced for one reason or another. And I found myself stuck on one of the process things about how to do this because it was a service that we were purchasing through another supplier. It wasn't a direct contracted relationship. And so that made me think about exactly how the best way was to execute something that was a very difficult thing that had to happen and whether or not I should trust the intermediary agency to do it the right way or whether I should do it directly myself even though contractually it wasn't probably strictly speaking, the right thing to do. So I had to learn that lesson all over again about the complexity that sometimes comes up when you have to have you know, difficult issues like you know, letting someone go and finding someone else to fill a role. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, that's, a, that's another great answer. Okay, uh, what's a great piece of advice you've received? At some point in your life, it uh, doesn't have to be about leadership. Oh, yeah, lots of great advice. Uh, much of which I chose to ignore and um, get, the, get the scrapes and bruises myself. Um, probably one of the best pieces of advice I got was just before I went into my first CEO role at CS Energy. And I was having a coffee with a guy who's a, an executive coach and just a, a colleague of mine. You know, I played golf with him a couple of times. Great, great person by the name of, name of um, Michael James. Um, I think he's Brisbane-based. And Michael said to me, you know what, Marty? Now that you're CEO, all your jokes are going to be just a little funnier. And that was just such a great piece of advice. He was basically saying in a very succinct and humorous way, don't be too full of yourself. People are going to suck up to you now. They're going to, they're going to be fawning all over you. They're going to be telling you what you want to hear. Don't let that distract you. And that was a great piece of advice. Yeah, I like that. And I, I really like the way he put it too. That's, uh, it's, it's so true. And I think this is, the, this is the thing with feedback. We talked a bit about feedback and difficult conversations the the challenge for leaders about getting feedback uh you know creating a culture where they get feedback on their own performance and 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 find out what people really think is that the higher you go the more control you have over what you hear and uh and i think it's a it's a bit of a vicious cycle because um you you'd think it would be, there's something in me that thinks it would be the other way around, but it's not. The earlier you are in an organization, the more likely you are to, to have someone, hopefully, who'll actually tell you what they see, like you said. But then the higher you go, you really have to seek it out yourself um, and make sure, be intentional about creating context. Is that what you found? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I find, you know, in my work now that the higher up people go quite often, the more they tend to believe their own bullshit. And, yeah, 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 uh, it, yeah. And it's self-confirmatory, right? So, hey, look, I must mm -hmm. be doing a great job. I must be a great leader because I've made it to here. Or now I'm running mm -hmm. this organization, I must be a great leader. And we see yeah. this all the time now, particularly these um, Silicon Valley unicorns that grow very, very quickly. And all of a sudden, uh, a founder who's been a smart entrepreneur with a lot of tenacity and some bright ideas ends up running <laughs> this massive organization and they can't cope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? And you know what I just thought as you shared that. Oh, the leader who says, "You know what? I must be a great leader because I've ended up here." 
Well, what what evidence do you have for that? Absolutely, absolutely, and and you know, it's, good it's question. Supposed to be, it's supposed to it's supposed to be confirming itself. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be here unless I was a good leader. But then go and survey the people below them and see what they think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> there's this great story. Uh, I, I love Patrick Lencioni's uh, work, and and uh, he tells this one story of of being part of uh, helping a CEO really for the first time get this sort of feedback from the leadership team. And he he got this feedback. It was all written. And so Pat, Pat was sitting in the meeting with the CEO and the leadership team as they were going to talk about it. The CEO pulls out this printed you know feedback and was quite a direct person and so had probably struggled to get feedback because there was maybe a bit of intimidation and he didn't mind giving the feedback. But um he didn't realize that people hadn't felt comfortable. So just what he did is he pulled out this piece of paper and said, okay, let's chat about this. So one of the things uh, comes up here is that I, I, I sort of talk too much in meetings and can talk over the top of people. Uh, so who said that? And no one put their hand up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a great story because Pat says that they, he, this, this leader was like, oh, okay. Uh, and everyone's going, no, 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 no. <laughs> and he went through a handful of these and, um, and Pat says that he he was on this uh, one of these chairs on wheels, and he sort of eek eek just sort of rolled his chair forward. He'd been sitting sort of in the corner and was like, <clears throat> um, "Sorry, I just need to interrupt. You do realize that everything on this paper, there's no one else. There, there no one else contributed. If anything was on here, it came from one of you in this room. So <laughs> let's start again, and let's actually just." let's reframe this a little bit so people actually say what you said it was just the ultimate example hilarious story for me of like literally a piece of paper where the ceo says who said this and everyone's going actually now that you're the you're reading this out to me the way you are i'm not going to own this um and uh yeah it's it's just it's really easy in those roles to uh without realizing it to maybe uh stop that sort of helpful feedback to come through Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a that's a ridiculous thing to do to um, take something that is given with the expectation of anonymity, and then to try and get people to out themselves in front of their group of people. I mean, it's it's, it's it was almost predictable what actually happened. Yes, right? yeah, and, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Who who would have ever thought, Jono? Yeah, it's one of those. Things. I know. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, last couple of questions. Um, so, what? is a movie or TV show that really impacted you? It doesn't have to be something serious. It can be. Uh, or it could be something just to switch off that you've, that you've really enjoyed. Oh, I've been doing a bit of Netflix binging lately. So I love Succession. Um, I don't know if you've seen that, yep. which is the... I haven't seen it, no. I've the, had it recommended, though. Yeah, the HBO drama with um, Brian Cox and uh, you know, Kieran Culkin. Just sensational. It's supposed to be loosely based on the Murdoch family. Um, mm-hmm. You know, big big media conglomerate and the power struggle with the children. Now that's yes. a dysfunctional family. Anyone listening to this who has come from a you know poor family background, watch that and it will make you feel better. It is twisted. Um, <laughs> but, but generally, you know, I like stuff that really pushes me. That that I watch and I go, ah, oh, you know, I'm not sure if I'm really comfortable with this. It's it's really stretching my boundaries. Yes. So I like things like that. But you know, for enjoyment, I you know I enjoy watching the. Um, the Formula One series, Drive to Survive. I'm not a big motor racing fan, but you know that was just sort of intriguing to get behind the scenes there and see you know how those organisations worked. So a lot of lot, yes. there's a lot of good TV being made these days, and uh, you know it can be uh, can be quite seductive to sit down and all of a sudden you're on episode three. 
Absolutely. I've had a lot of uh, friends recommend Drive to Survive, so I'll have to check it out. Um, have you seen The Last Dance about Michael Jordan? I have, yeah. I even did a podcast episode on that when it first came oh, out. Um, yeah. Oof, yeah, that was what a series. great. And that was incredible in getting some insight into what it takes to be the best of the best. Yeah, uh, you're and, right. And just the culture with, you know, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Steve Kerr and those guys who were playing in that team and Dennis mm. Rodman and how you hold a team of superb individuals like that together to win those, <laughs> yeah. whatever it was, um, six championships in seven years, I think it was. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. That's just, yeah, another another great series. Okay, uh, last question. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? Do the work. Mm. Do the work. Can't avoid it. Don't, don't look for shortcuts. Don't avoid. Throw yourself into it and do the work. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> if you do the right things, they'll pay off in spades and you'll have a happy life and a great career and people will love working for you even though there's a lot easier bosses to have. I used to say this to my team all the time. A lot easier bosses than me. If you want to have a comfortable life, go and work for one of them. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to expect you to be your best. So yeah. if, if, if that's what you want, you're going to love working for me. Otherwise, I'm going to be your worst nightmare. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. And such a great note to, um, to finish on as well because I love that approach to leadership. And I think it's very challenging in the best way for a lot of people listening to uh to embrace that and to to uh to be that sort of leader to hold that sort of standard because if you want a high performance team if you want to do things that seem impossible you know with a group of people then i really do believe that's what it takes um so marty this has been uh so much fun for those who want to find out more about you i know we've mentioned it already a couple of times but where can people find you online uh, well, I think uh, No Bullshit Leadership is probably the place to go first. Uh, if you want to find out whether or not you like this and it resonates with you, then we've got, I don't know, about 190 episodes of No Bullshit Leadership out there on your favourite podcast player. Uh, so yep. that's probably where I'd start. martingmore.com if you're feeling like you want to get more serious. And uh, Leadership Beyond the Theory is our program. So leadershipbeyondthetheory.com. Perfect. Love it. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. This has been... Uh, just one of my favorite podcasts chatting with Marty and uh, yeah just great examples wonderful stories wonderful um, yeah just leadership principles and uh, and really living up to to the name of the of the different resources that Marty has and and just cutting through I love it Uh, for our listeners don't forget I also have the John O'White leadership podcast and the leadership question of the day podcast two other places you can go to invest in your leadership but I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to Marty uh, for being so generous with your time. It's quite late where you are on the other side of the world right now, uh, where you happen to be based, um, or, it's, or it's later in the day anyway. And uh, I just really appreciate you giving your time and, uh, and yeah, sharing so generously. It's been a great joy. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's been a real pleasure, Jono. Thanks very much, mate. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org, 
we have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders and you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I, I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and, and please do that. And look for me, John White or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in Step Up or Step Out. 
And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time. 